Welcome to the British History Podcast. My name is Philippa Lacey Brule and I want to extend a warm welcome to you. If you are new here, hi, thank you for joining. And if you are returning, thank you so much for your support. In this podcast, we explore all sorts of things that have gone on in British history. We look at people, we look at events, we look at outcomes and perhaps look at them from a different perspective than usual. If you would like to support me in this free podcast, this podcast will always remain free, but if you would like to support me, then you can head over to my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash British history. And you can choose the tier there that would suit you best, starting from any £3 a month just for your kind support. Now, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hello everyone, welcome to Thursday Tea Time Live. How are you doing? It is, what is it, the 24th of February 2022. So I hope you're all doing well. Thank you to those who joined me last week. I was uh, on location, was rudely interrupted at the end and my uh, sound went, which always happens when I do it on my phone, if I get a phone call in. So thank you for bearing with me. Apologise, Apologies, sorry, to you on YouTube if you uh, missed me last week. Um, when I'm uh, on location, I can only stream on, well, I suppose I could do two different videos, but I didn't. I uh, I went live on Instagram. Perhaps next time we'll, we'll do YouTube. But thank you so much um, if you were with me. I'll speak a bit more about that uh, later on. Hi, Janice uh, down there in East Sussex. Hi, uh, it's a 1959. I can see other people joining as well. Welcome. And uh, cool. So we've got quite a bit I want to talk to you about. I've been so, obviously I was at Tewkesbury last week, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Good morning, Jenna. Um, hi, Tudorsmania. Uh, and I've also been uh, to somewhere called the Black Country Museum, which I'll tell you about as well. Um, hi, Alma in Alice in Virginia. Um, Lisa is having her blueberry and mango smoothie today. Oh, nice. I have my tea. I have remembered. Um, <laughs> blueberry and mango smoothie sounds good, though. Sounds very good. So I'll tell you about that. We've got some anniversaries from this week in history. Um, we've got all sorts of coming. We've got a, a, um, a bonus live event tomorrow, which I'll tell you about as well. Um, hopefully I'll remember to do that. So before I get going, as usual, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone, obviously, who, who comes back each week. And if you're new here as well, welcome. If you love history and you love British history, especially, then you're, you have come to the right place. This is, this is the place for you. Um, we have quite a nice little community going here. Uh, but a big thank you, obviously, to anyone who supports me by becoming a patron over on Patreon, uh, who does buy me a coffee on buymeacoffee.com forward slash Philippa. Um, I actually have some little extra free, um, they're not free, but it's extras available on buymeacoffee.com as well now. Um, you can have your own one-to-one -one chat with me uh, on Zoom if you like as well. So that's uh, that sort of thing is going to be added. And... Um, and obviously you can get me here 1pm every Thursday through live streaming on YouTube and on Instagram. If you're on the catch up, hi and welcome later on. And also you can catch me on the podcast as well. 
if you're on Instagram, send me some hearts. Let me know you're still there. If you're on YouTube, please give the, uh, this the thumbs up. And then I think that means that other people get to see that it's happening and more people will be here. So that would be lovely. Uh, okay. I also have some reminders about competitions. There's all sorts going on. So let's get started. Cool. So last week. Now, last week, if you didn't catch it, um, the video is still on Instagram and it's my live walk around Tewkesbury Abbey. So I won't talk to, I won't, I'm not going to talk loads about that for a couple of reasons. One, you can catch the video from last week. Actually, there's three reasons. Two, the second reason is I did a special walk around inside as well, obviously, for my patrons. So they can go over and have a look at that. And they obviously, that's especially for them. And the third reason is I'm actually revisiting Tewkesbury Abbey as a topic in tomorrow's Visiting Tudor Britain room. Uh, so that will be hosted on uh, Sarah's Instagram tomorrow. So that's at the Tudor Travel Guide. And I'm talking about Tewkesbury Abbey, but specifically the Tudors uh, at, um, at, Tude, at Tewkesbury Abbey. So I'm going to be doing that tomorrow um, because I don't know if if you may know, I don't know if I mentioned it in the live last week, but it, Tewkesbury was a location visited by Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn when they went on their 1535 summer progress. So it's a bit of a interesting time, the 1535 progress. Um, Sarah talks about it a lot on the Tudor Travel Guide. Um, obviously her book following, uh, so it's In the Footsteps of Anne Boleyn, has a chapter dedicated to that progress. Because this, this progress happens in the summer of 1535. By May 1536, 19th, so midway through the month, she's she's no longer with us. And so it's it's quite... Um, poignant for, for, for all of that. Um, so yeah, so if you can, then you either go back and look at last week's video or have uh, or listen in tomorrow at 4pm live on Instagram. So you can just follow me and you'll see when I go live along with Sarah and Deb, who is Tudor Times, and I'll be, I'll be talking about Tewkesbury Abbey a bit more and specifically the Tudors there. Um, so that's where, I've, where, I've, uh, where I was, that one of the places I've been to. The other place I went to on Monday, and if any of you are following me on Instagram, you might already have seen my reel, is the Black Country Living Museum. Hello everyone, I can see lots of people joining. Welcome, hope you are all doing well. Send me up some hearts so I can see that you're, uh, you're there. Um, and equally, hi everyone over on uh, YouTube. Where are you joining me from today? We're getting really, really quite international most weeks. So um, I'd love to know where you're joining me from. So yeah, so uh, so the other place I've been, like I say, there is a reel as well on my Instagram page, uh, which I put on this morning, of the Black Country Living Museum. Now I live, or I, well, I was born, hello, uh, lit, lit teacher in Algeria, welcome. Can you understand me okay? I've got, so I was going to talk about the Black Country, right? So, the, so I went to the Black Country Living Museum. I um, was born and grew up in the Black Country. Now, I don't have a very strong accent at all from the Black Country, um, compared to if you heard someone who did. <laughs> but it's a, it's a, um, 
it's it's kind of a, a name given to a, a conglomeration of of towns and uh, well, I suppose it encompasses yeah, it encompasses villages as well that were that were very industrial industrialized in the industrial revolution. Hi, Colleen, over there in bright and early, absolutely in California. What are you? Five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning. Um, you're very welcome, Lit Teacher. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So the Black Country, yes. Yeah, so this is a this is an area that if you've watched um, Peaky Blinders, then you will recognise some of the. Uh, well, you'll, you'll recognise a very particular part from Peaky Blinders because it was actually used as a filming location, the the forge down by the canal, um, but also just the houses and and, and everything. It's sort of very like that and it's, it's a heavily industrialized area and the, the that's where the the black country kind of um title comes from from the smog the smoke the dirt apparently so i i had read something that it was queen victoria that coined the term however i've also read that it was in use before her visit so but either way it, it reflects just the heavy industry that was that was there now so so it, not only is it the area that I grew up in, although I grew up in a in a town that was um, more glass making rather than industry. So it was sort of on the fringes. It's very, very sort of countryside, <laughs> the edge of the, on the edge of the countryside where I grew up, um, rather than sort of inside of, of, of a town or, or, or yeah, well, of town. Um, but a lot of my family were involved in industry a couple of generations back, nail makers, um, things like that. So it's fascinating. It also, so this, this Black Country Living Museum is a little village of its own uh, with um, houses which have been moved. I, I don't know if all of them, I could have checked this while I was there, are places that have been lifted and shifted from elsewhere, but a lot of them are literally brick by brick moved, including a house which is um i can't remember what they call it the tumble down house or the i can't remember but it's but it's 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 hot it's slanted crooked and and that happened to a lot of houses because of the mining underneath so tunnels and cause subsidence and the houses would sort of you could see that they were they were tilting so there's one that has been moved so it, it's sound it's perfectly sound. The ground's perfectly sound underneath it where it is now, but they've managed to lift it and shift it there with its tilt, which is quite interesting. But there, were, I mean, the life—you know—you can see life was hard. But there are some things I've put this in my reel that I find myself a little envious of. Now, tell me if you think I'm totally, <laughs> totally wrong on this, or you've got a different view. But they were, when you look in the houses. Actually, one of the things that I, I noticed um, is that the story of the of the housing, particularly, is always put over as look at look at the size of this house that all these people lived in. You might have a family of five in this house. We are not living in a time where people automatically live in houses larger than than those ones than a hundred years ago. A lot of the housing is still, um, you know, in this area that I live in now. Is still around that age. It's still hundred years old. Might have a little, you know, extensions on the back. Might have gone up, maybe, um, but a lot haven't. 
So this idea that, oh, look at these tiny houses people lived in um, 100 years ago in this area, as if nobody does now, that was one thing I noticed. But other things I noticed was, um, so with COVID, all the, all the doors are open everywhere. So it's a, and it's a bit blustery and obviously we're in the middle of February, so it's quite chilly. However, well, as soon as you get into these houses, you can tell that actually with the doors closed and maybe with, you know, with a few people in the room, they would have been lovely and cosy. And they have these um, uh, stoves. It, it, you know, they've, they've each had the stove, obviously different, I suppose, varying depending on what people could afford and whatever, but would use a relatively small amount of coal that they would use to cook, obviously. It would heat the, the room they're in dry the washing whatever it is on a relatively small amount of fuel and then um once the uh, there's a there's a house there that represents houses that were built uh, as soon as the victorian slums were were um obliterated these were there was like a standard house that was sort of built and they would have a cast iron uh stove um Look, there's another word I'm looking for, which is range, um, and they're cast iron. So actually, they retained the heat. So even once the fire had gone out, the room would the the, the cast iron stove keeps the room warm. And I, I don't, it made me think about all this, you know, how much energy we use now. And I know we we use electricity for a start, which they didn't they didn't. But some things are just. If we just had a more simple way, um, perhaps, of being, we, we, you know, we would use a lot less energy. But anyway, <laughs> that was one thing, another thing I noticed. The other thing I noticed, and it's, this is from one of the ladies who was a guide in the room, and she was talking about how they reused newspaper. But she was saying basically everything was recycled. You know, if you were poor, you didn't let anything go to waste. Everything was recycled. So the newspaper would be recycled to um, create spits for the fire, to light the fire. Um used as toilet paper might have been a better use for newspapers um you know if you had ex you had chickens people would have their you know chickens in the back garden if you had excess eggs you would sell them or you'd make them into cakes and sell them whatever it is but the recycle this is the key thing the recycling was done in the home it wasn't outsourced you didn't put it in a box and a big gas guzzling truck came around once a week and took the recycling away and to somewhere to do something with it and then we find out 20 years later it's been going to landfill the entire time you know the people would be recycling in their home and I just I don't know it's just it's got me thinking a little bit there's things we definitely can learn from the past I'm not convinced that everything we have to do has to require something totally new as if it's never been done before I think our ancestors um were savvy um right anyway but that's the black country music. have a look at the reel if you haven't already um after this and you'll see um things like no supermarkets you know it, there's so much convenience we have now and I, I I um I just I love the idea of going to a shop for each particular thing but you see we're we're, we're time poor now you have that on the continent though, don't you? It's Italy, I've been to a lot. You still have shops for different things. Supermarkets aren't quite as big a thing as they are here. Um, in fact, even our small shops are smaller versions of our supermarkets. So, 
anyway, so it was like it was harking back to a more simple time. Children could play in the street because they, you know, the streets were for people, not for cars. Whereas now, if someone's trying to to cross a street, they ha they have to wait for a car, regardless of what the highway code says. Colleen, yes, less leisure time, yet a simpler life. Yeah. And the other thing I was thinking as well, I don't know um, that this might be a, you know, a British specific thing, but families now don't live as close together at all. I mean, families would stay in um, in the, in the in the same street in the same location. Just gonna move this up a bit. Would stay in the same street, the same location. But um, I suppose with the advent of the car and things like that, it, what it's not essential to be able to have to be within walking distance of your family, so we move further away. So it's just a bit of a shame. Yes, I'm not going to talk about Russia and Ukraine at the moment. Let's have a break from that. Plus, I just don't, I don't know enough about it. Chewing gums, I find the new highway code rule doesn't really work. No, you've got to, you've got to be, you've got to be quite brave to be a pedestrian or a cyclist to uh, force the issue, I think. But uh, anyway, let's just, you know, think shared space and, um, I just, you know, not knocking each other over. Is that something we can do? I think we can. I think we can manage that, maybe. Um, Colleen liked the video. Good, thank you. Took me a little while to put that together, but I thought it was, um, I thought it was cool. So we're going to talk about some history anniversaries as well this week. I will, um, what date are we on? So the, the competition to win Tracy's book sh uh, closes in a few days time four days time so I'll remind you about that um I was going to give you a book recommendation but I haven't got it with me but I'll just tell you about it and obviously my interview with Heather can you hear that that's the ice cream van um, <laughs> um the ice cream van is, uh, is is making its way around in February you never used to see them except for in the summer but now they're they they try their hand all year round. Fair play to them. I'll talk, uh, remind you about my interview with Heather Darcy about Anna of Cleves because there's also a competition to win one of her books. Um, yeah, cool. So, yeah, Katie, woohoo, ice cream. I can't have one, I'm talking to you. Can you come back later? Let's see. <laughs> Do, 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 do. Chewing gums, I thought you were playing that music, no. <laughs> yes, Jen yeah. Jenna says it's cute. Janice says there's some nostalgia. Yes, see? He must have known. He must have known I was doing this. <laughs> it's fun. When was it when was the ice cream when was ice cream invented? Hi Orlando and Rio. Yes, we're sharing tea time. Oh, all over the world. So ice cream. Well, ice cream is. Um, so this is when you started having ice houses, wasn't it? I, I'm try. I I don't know, but it's it's actually relatively new, um, as in like last two hundred years uh, type food. Jenna, we have ice cream trucks here in Rhode Island too, but only in the summer. Yeah, what happens to them in the winter? Where do they go? What are they doing? It's like Santa. That's what it is. Um, Lisa says, I looked up about Anna of Cleves and found a book called Catherine of Cleves, her book of hours, and bought it. 
beautiful images in it. Oh, wonderful. Oh, Jenna, you also have frozen lemonade trucks. Like um, sorbet type stuff. <laughs> or Mr. Freeze, which my mum wouldn't let me have a Mr. Freeze when I was little. <laughs> you churn up your own ice and add a... If King Henry tried ice cream, history probably wouldn't, he probably wasn't, wouldn't be, oh, put it, hold on. If Henry VIII tried ice cream, history probably wouldn't, what, wasn't that harsh? Wouldn't be that harsh? Can you imagine if he had ice cream? Only he's a big lad anyway, wasn't he? Um, Jenna, like Italian ice, but softer. Oh, nice. World history. British, British, Britain has a long tradition in history. Yes, we do. And actually at the moment, Again, my, my arms aren't long enough. I haven't put the book too close. Um, uh, close enough. I am looking at pre-Norman conquests. <laughs> so it's all right, Romance Victorians. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to read it and not getting it right. Um, Ipsa says, in Roman times, there were already sorts of ice cream like sherbet. Ah, fantastic. Um, Jenna says, oh boy, I can see the empty tubs around his bed now. Yep, Henry VIII. Um, romance I'm driving well don't <laughs> don't 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 go knocking down any any anyone <laughs> just just listen in and you can message me later sky and flames did the Tudors brush their teeth um I'll come back to that in a second Jenna uh chewing gums Henry VIII would finish several of the big tubs not in weeks but days yeah 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 because they, I mean, they liked their sugary stuff already, didn't they? Their marzipans and and things like that. Um, and of course, sugar being the, uh, being being a sign of wealth. Yeah. Oh, we, we'd have, he'd have. Oh, especially in heartbreak, or what Henry considered being heartbreak. Break. Uh, yeah, he'd have just sat there with <laughs> like big tubs of ice cream. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Michael, he certainly made women scream. If if he didn't like ice cream. Yeah. So yes, uh, skies in flames. Beautiful picture, by the way. Um, Tudors, did they brush their teeth? They did, but um, not not in the way we would think of it. So um, I believe they used like a rag, and they'd because they must have felt right. They must have felt all the. You know when you've had something sugary, you know, like, uh, and you get the fur on your teeth. That little. And you need to go and brush your teeth. So they would have, they would have known that wouldn't, they wouldn't have felt like that was a pleasant sensation just because there was no Colgate or whatever. So yeah, I think they used um, like rags, and then they did have paste as well. Now the problem with the paste was it had sugar in it, so not great. Lisa says, did they brush their teeth with a bit of wood? I don't know. Or twig. I'm not sure. I think it would have to be some sort of, um, it would have to be styled in some sort of way, wouldn't it? Otherwise, because you wouldn't do it twice if you if you got splinters from it. Um, Colleen, I read Elizabeth brushed with honey. Yeah. I, there is this, this, <laughs> can you imagine though? <laughs> like Winnie the Pooh. With all the all the honey in the mat in your mouth, 
course, honey is very an- good for anti you know antibacterial qualities, but it's not. Um, it's still full of sugar. Oh yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. But um, th- th- so they did have a form of it, but how how you, how good it was um, is is another thing. Uh, Michael says David Howarth's old book Ten Sixty Six, The Year of the Conquest, is a good read. Thank you, Michael. So oh yes, so I started that, didn't I? So I'm I'm going back before the conquest um, because I have fallen into the trap of basically starting with the conquest all the time in terms of thinking about uh, English and subsequently British kings and queens. Um, So I'm getting well into old English kings and the the formation of of an England that that William could then command conquer. And, And obviously, so there was there was Danish incursions into England for centuries and then they they permanently set up here so England as we think of it now and Britain is nothing like um now in the area that I'm in as well just out of semi-interest maybe is an area was the area called Mercia I don't know if you ever heard of like the king of the Mercians or whatever that is not a that that has not come down to us now as an area. So there's no county called Mercia. There's the, no, the only place you will hear that referred to is in the police force for this area. And, and I think um, I think there is an army. Um, what have you called them? Oh my god, <laughs> the Mercians. Anyway. Um, but that's the only place you'll hear of, the, hear of them. Most people who live in what would have been Mercia wouldn't be able to tell you where Mercia actually was. But anyway, so there's all of that. There's the geography of England. There's there's the um, obviously the, the the people who are in charge. There's how we had law, um, religion, because of course, so that so the the the, the Romans leave in three hundred and something AD. And the conquest is in 1066. In between that, we get a Christian conversion as well. So Christianity builds. It takes centuries. Um, anyway, you, you've got people like Alfred the Great in there um, and Ethelston, who, if you remember, we talked about in, in various rooms because he uh, won out in an argument that Tracy Borman was involved in as to who was uh, England's greatest or Britain's greatest monarch. And he he won out over Elizabeth, so that that pricked my interest as well. So any of you who are um, patrons in the uh, nobility tier and above, uh, the quarterly event this time round, so that will be April, is going to be the beginner's guide to old English kings, where I'm going to teach you all about this. Um, Michael, the King of Mercia, lost Harold the Battle of Hastings because he didn't support him. Oh, right. Okay. See, you know more than me at the moment. This is, this is where I am. King of Mercia. Would you have been King of Mercia? Um, Janice Tracy doesn't rate him. She does certainly doesn't rate him above Elizabeth. That is true. But what I figured is there's got to be an interesting story there, hasn't there? So I'm, um, and it is very interesting. 
It is very interesting. I'm sort of I'm I'm listening to books about Anglo-Saxons. I'm listening to Simon Sharma's History of Britain. That was the book I was going to recommend to you today. Volume one. <laughs> it comes in volumes, people. I warn you. Volume one. But it's really quite easy to read or listen to, depending on what you um what you Earl. That's it. Thank you, Michael. Um, uh, depending on how you like to imbibe your books. I, as usual have got the audible version and the actual book because that's the way I work right anyway I said I'd talk about some of the anniversaries didn't I we have um oh here we go Sarah hi Sarah Sarah Ampton Court tour guide um is touring uh sorry is guiding my uh group around Hampton Court in May when we go as part of the Anne Boleyn tour Leofric of Mercia owned Hounslow 100 which encompassed Hampton Court Wow. See, so these areas, I suppose he could have owned something that was slightly outside his area. So Mercia, because of course it's a fluid concept as well, these areas, because you have overlords and underlords and not underlords. That's not, that probably wasn't a term. Did I just make that one up? But you get my gist. And and depending on who's winning out of the time, et cetera, et cetera. So it seems very fluid to me. And then, of course, once it's all won, well, I was going to say it's simple because we've got a got a coastline. It's not, of course, because we have England and Wales and Scotland and yeah. Anyway, right. So uh, the just for fun question last week, let me talk about this because this is one of the um, uh, anniversaries ish actually really it was anniversary last week wasn't it but the 16th of february is when henry the eighth was buried so i had a video about that and my just for fun question was how long was henry the eighth's funeral procession so did any of you do your homework did you watch the video do you have any idea you could just guess so how long do you think henry the eighth's funeral procession was I'll give you a clue, it's long. But my video, so I've got two videos about Henry VIII. One is um, a, a summary of sort of, not a summary, it's a discussion of where he is, where he's buried, but why he's buried there, why he was never moved. Um, and the other one's a bit more specific about um, about the funeral itself. So Janice has got it. Lisa, it is four, but it's four miles. Four miles long, the funeral procession for Henry VIII. Um, Jenna's got it. Nice. Well done. So four miles. Because you have all the different... Um, you have the, the Mercian companies. You have the different... Um, uh, what's the word? departments <laughs> departments of court there um everyone's represented <laughs> is that right lisa it was four four miles yeah um now i we've probably had this discussion before but about hen so henry of course for anyone who doesn't know is buried in st george's chapel windsor and the marble uh, t uh, stone that marks the um, 
it's not exactly I know entrance to the uh, to the crypt where he's or that he's in. Um, that was put there by William the Fourth. So so he was in a, an unmarked um, grave before then with Jane Seymour, and there's 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 this assumption that well. He's he's buried with Jane because he loved her the most, which I I, I do think again is a bit of a trap, when um, because he had six wives, so we immediately find ourselves saying, well, which one did he love the most? Um, you know, there's there's these comparisons that we automatically fall into 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 giving, um, and it's just logical. I don't know if I've spoken to you about this before, but it's logical that he's he's buried with Jane. Catherine of Aragon, he says, is never his wife. In her funeral, at her funeral, she is buried as the Dowager Princess of Wales. Anne Boleyn was never his wife. There's a running theme. Uh, and he obviously has had her executed. Um, Tara says he loved himself the most. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a good summary. <laughs> yes. Um, Genesis Tracy says that it's because Charles Brandon is buried at St. George's. Okay, so we'll concert. So yes, so um, I mean, St. George's is, is you know, I mean, Henry VII was going to have St. George's as the Tudor um, mausoleum. He only moves it to Westminster Abbey uh, because uh, he actually wants, uh, he wanted the mausoleum to be where uh, what well, he was told by the monks of Westminster, well, actually, your your hero, Henry VI, wanted to be here. He's only not here because he didn't get to be buried where he wanted to be. Um, so anyway, he, he moved it there, but it was going to be St. George's. But he wasn't going to stay there. That's the thing. Henry VIII wasn't supposed to stay in that, in that, um, uh, in that burial place. He was, he was supposed to be moved. There was a tomb. He'd, he'd, um, work had begun on it. Um, of course, because he actually took it off Wolsey for a beginning, but but it, you know it was designed, and it, and it should have been. It just was never done. Um, so obviously Jane had predeceased him. Jane, he'd never disputed the marriage, and and she's the she's the mother of of his heir. Michael says one wife is enough. <laughs> Doesn't seem to end well when there's there's more, but. Um, uh, Anne of Cleves is still alive when he dies, and again that marriage was annulled. Catherine Howard had been uh, executed, and Catherine Parr is still alive. So what I'm saying is, logically, she was the only one he could have been married with anyway, uh, married with, buried with anyway, and so therefore it's not to me proof positive that he loved her the most at all. It's just not proof to me. Um, but anyway, it's an interesting story. And I've got those videos anyway where I go through it. They're getting a bit old now. I look um, different. Uh, so what else have we got? Uh, 20th of Feb, so 1547, that was Henry VI's coronation. I said Henry, oh my goodness, where am I going? Edward VI's coronation. Um, of course, he was only nine. He was only nine when he... Uh, when he he was crowned, or when, well, when he became king, 
Um, and there's this story of him stopping the coronation procession going through London to watch acrobats, which is um, which is a sweet uh, thought for a boy who started to show rather tyrannical uh, leanings later on. Celia, hello in Brazil. Welcome. Where is everyone else uh, joining me from? I know we've got lots of people from America. We have we have a couple from Brazil. Um and the UK. Yeah. I was going to say the sun's shining, but it's gone in, so it's going to call me a liar. Um, ah, yes, this is one I was going to talk to you about more. Now, Elizabeth the first. I don't know if you know this. On the 25th of February, 1540, Elizabeth the first was excommunicated. Michael's down there in North London. London. That was awful, sorry. And Indita over there in India. Hi, welcome. Hope you are well. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, Colleen. I was a sweet thought stopping to be a child. Sorry, I don't know what, you, what you're after, what you're saying there. Um, so, yeah, so Elizabeth was excommunicated by Pope Pius V in February 1570. And that had, it didn't, I mean, the the personal implications for her to be excommunicated as a Protestant, so not a member of the Catholic Church, yeah, were sort of, there were nothing. However, however, what that did politically and actually for her, you could argue, and her council did for her personal safety it sanctions holy war it sanctions also her um her execution as far as the pope is saying she is not your rightful queen at all she is um an imposter she can be taken off the throne and uh, and replaced and you would be a hero so it makes um elizabeth's position very difficult very difficult and and this is a country newly divided, really, along religious lines. Obviously, her we can thank her dad for that, but it could it could very well have happened anyway. Um, and up until this, well, I mean, it, it didn't just happen overnight. All the changes, but recusants, so people who wanted to um, to not go to church services, so they were refusing um, because they were they were Catholic. They didn't want to go to Protestant services. They they would have been fined originally. And sometimes the fines were implemented, sometimes they weren't chased up. But that starts to change. And the sanctions against um, against recusants went from, um, you know, people got, but as people got more suspicious of Catholics, you had the sanctions getting more and more severe. I mean, being a priest, being a priest was illegal, harbouring a priest was illegal. Um, now, there was a piece of legislation came in 1585, which was flagrantly retrospective, which said that if you had been a priest ordained on the uh, on the continent since 1559 and you stepped foot on English soil, you were a traitor. If you were harbouring them, you were uh, you were a traitor. And but and that both of those things attracted or could attract the death penalty. So 
so you were so Elizabeth, I think I do think Elizabeth was going to try and have a middle line. I don't know what you think, but it became increasingly difficult to the point of being impossible. Um, and being excommunicated by the Pope, so this sort of sanction for people to whether they whether they would do it or not, but the sanctions given to to she's not your queen, you can you can topple her and it's fine. That's in fact that's brilliant. In fact, God would love that. Um, you know, puts them in a very difficult position. There were a hundred about one hundred and thirty priests and sixty lay people who were executed after this legislation um, for for this purpose. For this reason so if you're a catholic in england this is how we get places like harvington hall which if you haven't seen um, any of my videos about harvington hall have a look i've also got an interview with phil downing who uh who's man who manages harvington hall this is a recusance house um not too far away from me with seven ex seven surviving priest hides um so built around this time hello Ariton. hello in azerbaijan Fantastic. Um, so yeah, this is why these houses are built. This is you need a place to hide your priests, to hide um, the implements of mass, and um, you know these, these people are they, their choices, their mortal body or their immortal soul, um, and it, it must have been incredibly um, well. That takes over your life. Your house is being built in order to, to to encompass your beliefs when they've been made illegal. It's quite. Um, I think there's something to be uh, to be learnt from from this sort of thing. But um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. So so Elizabeth I excommunicated by Pope um, Pius V in February 1570. Um, 20, another 25th of Feb, 1723. I've got a little video about this. And in fact, in fact, this will be the basis of this week's question. Actually, this week's just for fun question. And it's the video I have. It's called, um, I can't remember what it's called. It's called, Sir Christopher Wren is buried. I think it's something. <laughs> I'll, I'll post it later. Um, and so Christopher Wren is the architect responsible for St Paul's Cathedral, amongst many, many other churches, especially in, um, in the city of London that were rebuilt after the fire. Now, he already had the, um, uh, I think he was already had the contract, if it worked that way in those days, to rebuild it. And of course, when the fire burnt it down in 1666, he got carte blanche to start again. Um, Right, hopefully I'm back. It said poor connection then. So, so Christopher Wren builds St Paul's Cathedral. I've covered it before. So I, so I was going to have the question, what is uh, written on his headstone? Because he's buried down in the crypt. He has no tomb as such. There's no grand sort of tomb. And his son, I believe, had the headstone put in and it's in latin but it, it it i'm paraphrasing but it basically says if we translate it um view it if you if you search for his tomb look around you sort of thing but i have paraphrased that 
because of course he, he's the architect of St Paul's Cathedral. But my just for fun question, which I will give you the answer to next week, is um, is what did critics not like about Wren St Paul's Cathedral? He was he was heavily criticised for part of the design, and what was that? Um, oh, Michael says uh, St Paul's is full of Freemasonry symbols. Interesting. Interesting. So yeah, so critics were scathing about one particular part of the design. So I will let you know what uh, what that is next week. But you can watch the video. Um, I think it's called. <laughs> I should have written that down. Sorry, it's called something like "Why is Sir Christopher Wren not got a grander tomb?" I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you later. Um, and another thing. So this isn't actually British, but I think it's. Um, I think it's interesting, and I think it's it's heavily uh, linked anyway to 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 Britain because of the because of the religious thing because it's based in Italy and it 26th of Feb 1616 was the first inquisition of Galileo Galilei and this inquisition basically he was he was hauled um in front of the the church for having wrong thoughts basically for of course heresy which is effectively having the wrong thoughts this isn't what we're teaching you. You you can't you can't say this. His wrong thoughts, heliocentrism. So this I this 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 that we now know that the sun is central and the the planets of our solar system uh, revolve around it, including the Earth. Now this was in direct opposition to what the Church was teaching at this time. So they were teaching that the Earth is in the middle, and all the planets and the sun revolve around. Heaven is above, hell is below. So to say anything other than that was heresy. Now, um, Galileo's work actually built on the work of a Polish astronomer, um, Nicholas Copernicus. Now, this is I think this is interesting because he's he had a book written. He wrote a book in 1543, Copernicus, with the heliocentrism as uh, central to it. It's called On the Revolutions of the Celestial Spheres. It wasn't, it was in Latin, but I'm not going to even try. And it was actually dedicated to the Pope at the time. When Galileo had his Inquisition in 1616, so this is 73 years after Copernicus publishes his book about this, um, his book is put on a banned list. So his book is now banned at this time. So in 1616, Copernicus's book, which is already 73 years old, is put on a banned list. So there you go, there's a list. It's just, you know, the, the, the curtailing of free speech and thoughts is nothing new whatsoever. Um, but it's, it's interesting, I mean, Galileo sort of went, yeah, yeah, okay, I won't, I won't, I won't talk about it in public again. <laughs> and then of course he, he goes on to, to develop um, compasses, uh, telescopes, all obviously based on on his ideas, and eventually he is convicted for heresy uh, in 1633, and he's kept under house arrest until he dies. And he dies at the age of 77. Yeah, in 1642. 
But I, I just think there's nothing new under the sun, is there? There's absolutely nothing new under the sun. Um, and and th that idea as well that 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 the earth is central was important to the people who were who were giving that who, who were trying to get everyone else to believe that idea, regardless of the fact that it wasn't true. And they they people died for that for that um, yeah to to argue against it. Right, what else have we got? Um, oh, I did a post about this the other day. Thomas Beckett, St. Thomas Beckett. Do you know, I can never say Saint. St. Thomas Beckett, when I think about what I say. Uh, 21st of Feb, 1173, he's canonised. So I did a bit of a, um, a post about this because he was canonised just over two years after his death. So this is the Archbishop of Canterbury who, he was Archbishop to Henry II and um, he... Uh, he was murdered by um, by some knights loyal to the king. This is the, will no one rid me of this troublesome priest type idea. Although what he actually said, I don't think that it, it's, it's uh, disputed. But the, do you know he was in France when he said that? So this wasn't a, you know, they're in, they're in a, a, a pub three doors down and someone says something and they all go riled up. They made their way back from France in order to do this. I always thought, or initially thought, it must have been um, something, uh, you know, more spontaneous than that, more angry than that. But uh, but it wasn't. But anyway, he was made a um, he was made a saint really soon after. Um, he was very popular in life. So when he died, and of course the 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 way in which he died. Pilgrims were attracted to go to Canterbury um, and see the spot that he died and that there's lots of um, reliquary, reliquary boxes from this time where um, <laughs> literally a relic, so a piece of hair, a piece of bone, there were vials um, of water with a drop of his blood in and people would have these. Um, so you... Uh, there was an exhibition at the British Museum about about Beckett, and a lot of the pieces in in the well, there were a lot of relic, these reliquaries um, in in the exhibition. Um, such were they uh, was their popularity. But so these pilgrims were going to Canterbury, and then you had hundreds of miracles being reported. So that's quite unusual, though, how fast he was canonised. Um, so I've done a post about that if you want to check that out as well. So I've got the reels on, but I've got a reel about Tewkesbury, a reel about the Black Country Living Museum um, for you to take a look at as well. Also, where I, so my patrons have a uh, history, uh, historian interviews when I, when I can, who I've got here. Um, uh, so sorry, after 12 months, then I'm going to start releasing a few of those. And there's one coming up soon, uh, which was a interview with Matt Lewis about Ludlow, Ludlow Castle. So look out for that because that is really cool. It's a um, really fascinating uh, talk with, with Matt. He knows ridiculous amounts of history about, about that place. Uh, Michael says, do you know the history of what happened to the Knights after they murdered Beckett? I don't off the top of my head. 
I think I, I think I have heard what happened to them, but it was a long time ago, so I can't uh, I can't uh, think at the moment. No. But but Henry to begin with, I think doubled down on on you know because Beckett was a pain in his bum. I mean Beckett was his friend, and he thought that if he made his friend Archbishop of Canterbury, then the church would come would fall in line with what he wanted. And of course that didn't work because Beckett wasn't going to play ball. And 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 Thomas Beckett, when Henry VIII um, split from Rome, people would have these books of saints. And Beckett was one of the, 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 the saints that everyone was ordered to scrub out of the books because he stood the church like not in opposition to the monarchy but in the in the face of opposition from the monarchy he he stood for the church and the church alone and so of course when henry splits from the church <clears throat> he doesn't want people reading about the story of thomas beckett and so you'll find books of saints and there and the 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 story is scrubbed out to more or less with more or less um, enthusiasm depending on whether people were paying lip service I think to to doing that or whether they um, whether they did it proper so yeah <laughs> which is quite interesting um, right what else was I going to talk about so remember also to check out Heather Darcy's interview I've talked about this a lot so I won't go on about it now but this the 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 real story about why her marriage to Henry VIII didn't work, uh, why it was doomed from the outset, and it's not the story that we have been told forever. It's not because she was ugly, or she didn't recognise him, or she smelt. None of those things. I mean, you can continue. Yeah, I suppose. You, I mean, there's, you could still believe that, but. It's a far more compelling argument that uh, Heather can put forward with her research. And actually, what she was saying in the interview, if you watch it fully, is um, is she is is the story that she's sort of uncovered uh, in quotation marks is the story in Germany, is the story in the Cleves region. They understand it, um, but we we've had this. Um, other story told to us Colleen I love that she used pictures yes so anyone who hasn't seen the interview yet thank you for that Colleen um, Heather actually had a sort of presentation so she shows the map that was very useful wasn't it where is Cleves where you know and, and all the different regions that were um, that were sort of in in the mix at the time um, so yeah have a look at that it's really 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 good Bobby says it was such a great interview with so much information. Thank you, Bobby. Yes, um, I think it was it. Janice, was it you saying um, commented on the video that you come back to it? I think it is one of those. Um, but it's up on my YouTube channel, so and it's also on the podcast as well. So if you want to just listen to it, if you're out and about, um, and you want to try and imbibe it while you're driving, obviously concentrate on the road. Uh, but uh, it's on the podcast as well, so you can you can do that. If you want to find a link to anything that I'm talking about, then um, if you go to my bio on Instagram, 
um, and also my links on my YouTube uh, channel header, then you should be able to find most of what I'm talking about. Um, Elements of Brace, a speaker of churches and scientists. <laughs> Isaac Newton is buried at Westminster. Who decides who's buried where? It's a very good question. Um, I don't know who decides who is buried where. No one in Westminster Abbey now. We're full, apparently. Um, and so Isaac Newton is buried there. Okay. Because there's plenty of people also who have um, like plaques or stones there that aren't buried there, like Shakespeare, for instance. And then you seem to have Poet's Corner and da 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 da. But I don't know. I imagine it comes from um, the the crown somehow. Um, mad journalist, uh, hi. Uh, over there in Greece, well, they'll obviously go for the propaganda in favour of the king style of storytelling, though, like every country does in such cases. So no surprise that not all the facts and aspects and angles and Anna's side yeah, we're sort of buried, so to speak. Well, it's interesting because it's it's actually the politics that was buried. Um, and uh, without giving too much of the interview away, without you, you watching it, but um, another interesting thing that comes out is how much did Cromwell understand of the political situation in Europe? Because the advice he's giving to Henry is wrong it's a bum steer and he's he's but he's acting on information um that he's been given by the ambassador to was it the french court which was wyatt thomas white who had been put in the tower of london during Anne Boleyn's downfall had seen his friends murdered and um and had been released he's not going to be a massive fan of Cromwell. So that's interesting. Was there a little bit of a setup there of Cromwell? Um, so, yeah, check it out. I've also done a 14-minute segment as well if you haven't got time for the... Um, how long was the, the full one? It's an hour and a half, I think. Um, but, yeah, you can... Obviously, you can take it at your leisure, listen to it on the podcast... But let me know in the comments underneath the video if you do if you do watch it what you think. And of course, remember that if you answer the question, it's all in the show notes. If you answer the question, you make sure you like the video and have subscribed. Hi, Jan, and subscribe to uh, my YouTube channel. You will be in with a chance of winning Heather's book on Anna. <laughs> Colleen said it wasn't long enough. <laughs> Can I have me on loop? <laughs> I pop up everywhere. Um, yeah, so you'll you, be in with a chance of winning Heather's book, um, Anna, Duchess of Cleves, The King's Beloved Sister, it's called. I, di I did originally offer to, uh, that the winner could choose between that book and Heather's new book, but the release date hasn't come out for her new book yet, so, so it will be the one on Anna. So, uh, you can do that, and the... You still have chance to win Tracy Borman's book, The Private Lives of the Tudors. It's a signed copy because I've physically uh, been and seen uh, Tracy to get it signed. And you can win that if you watch my interview with Tracy about female rule in uh, England and subsequently Britain. Uh, that again is on YouTube and 
same same rules apply you just have to like the video subscribe to the channel make sure you subscribe to the channel of course you already are and answer the question that's there as well and that closes on monday i will be doing the um uh, john says heather's book on anna is groundbreaking it it is it absolutely is colleen i want it well maybe you shall have it uh and um yeah, so so and answer answer Tracy's question. So that that will that will close on Monday. I will do the draw Tuesday or Wednesday, and then I will announce the winner here on Thursday Tea Time Live next week. That is for Tracy's book, um, Heather's book. You can uh, be in a, with a chance of winning that up until the end of this month, twenty eighth. No, twenty eighth of March next month. Where are we? What time is it? Who knows? Jenna, sometimes we're lucky on a Friday night and we get Heather to talk about Anna. Oh, yes, yes, because Heather, um, you can you can follow Heather on, um, is that Clubhouse, Jenna, that she's on? Um, she, because uh, Heather is over in America, she um, she does, for me, a wild time room. It's like three o'clock in the morning our time or something. But if you are within that time zone, check out Heather's room, um, the Reading Renaissance Room on Clubhouse. Um, it's fabulous. Um, chewing Gums, really enjoyed the chat, Philippa. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Elements of Bray, it was so interesting hearing a different account of Anne of Cleves and Henry VIII. What other event in history would you be keen to get a different account on? Ooh. Uh, sorry, Clean and Jenna, uh, yes. Uh, confirm that is on Clubhouse. So go and follow, follow Heather Darcy on Clubhouse. Um, what other event in history would I be keen to get a different take on? Hmm. Um, oh, Jenna's saying yes, it's a 10 pm room. So 10 pm your time. So yeah, that's 3 pm, 3 am UK time. That'll be why I'm not on it then. <laughs> Gotta sleep sometime. What other do you know? The Anne uh, Anne of Cleves and Henry VIII has been one of those stories that I have, and I admitted this last week and probably the week before, uh, whenever last I was talking about it, repeated because it was the story we had, but it always just didn't sit right. So what other stories don't sit right? Anyone else got anything that they would love for some more? I don't know something that just doesn't feel likely. That you hope someone's doing some research on and might put a different uh, spin on it. Michael, the death of the princes in the tower. Well, indeed. Indeed. The thing with the death of uh, the princes in the tower, so these are the, the sons of Edward IV that were taken to the tower uh, when their uncle Richard III um, usurped the throne, if you think that way. Uh, and they just didn't reappear. Or did they? Um, is there seems I don't know from when were there all the different stories the story with Anne and Henry seems to have combined here at least obviously not on the continent um, Heather tells us but here at least that um, that that's what happened and it just didn't sound like it's like it's right um, Doug would like to see the knight's account of the killing of Beckett. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure that's that would have been subdued, wouldn't it, after the uh, public opinion was known. Oh. Um, Lisa, Catherine de' Medici, was she or wasn't she evil? Is anyone 
Is anyone always one thing or the other? It'd be nice to know her motivations, wouldn't it? I mean, these women, you know, they're just as hard as the men. Um, I think they, you know, they had their agendas. It'd be naive to think that they couldn't or wouldn't. So oh, I'm trying to think of what I would like to... Um, what else do I talk about that doesn't sit right? I don't know at the moment. I'm going to have a think about that. I'm going to think about this. Very interesting question. Thank you, Elements of Brie. Brie Bray. Which way do I... I don't know how to say it. Um, also, a little bit of a reminder, if you are one of my um, upper-level patrons, I think it's from Nobility to Talk, here upwards you can now if you give me your instagram handle you become one of my close friends uh you can also do that on buy me a coffee but that means that i i do proper more exclusive photos so when i'm out and about or if i'm doing stuff I, I i put stuff on um on my close friends on instagram so you can do that um i've written out to everyone so if you've if you've not looked at your messages recently have a look and see if you've uh, got one there um and we can do that. So we've done our just for fun question. So let me know when you've watched the video about Ren's um, burial place. What the con what the critics didn't like about his design, and there's a bit of a why in there as well. But you'll see when you watch the video. What was it about his design that they didn't that they didn't like? Um, I'll tell you about what live events have got coming up. And then I'll leave you be and let you get back on with your day. So tomorrow, tomorrow we have a bonus event. So the normal room for Visit Tudor Britain is four o'clock tomorrow. And I'll be talking about Tewkesbury Abbey, the Tudors at Tewkesbury Abbey. After that, we have our, we have actually have got a clubhouse room. For those of you who are still on Clubhouse, you'll be pleased to know it's the old gang back together. So it's Sarah, who's the Tudor Travel Guide, Cat Marchant, um, who has Reading the Past on YouTube, if you haven't already checked it out. Uh, Catherine Brooks, who is not just the Tudor Tracker, and myself. We are back together at five o'clock tomorrow on Clubhouse. Because uh, we've actually moved off Clubhouse now to do more regular uh, lives on Instagram mainly. But we're going to have a, a last for now discussion uh, about what we're up to, where you're going to be able to find us. I'm sure we're just going to have basically a general uh, history chat about what, what we've been doing around history and what you can expect. So if you're around, I would love to see you there on Clubhouse at five o'clock tomorrow. And of course, four o'clock so the hour before, you can catch me talking about Tewkesbury Abbey on um, the Visiting Tudor. I don't know whether I call, I call it Visit Tudor Britain and Visiting Tudor Britain. I'm not quite sure what it's supposed to be. I keep forgetting. But anyway, you get the gist. It's about Tudor Britain and about visiting it. <laughs> so I'll talk, you, talk, talk to you about the, the Tudors at Tewkesbury. But I will also give some information about... You know, if you're going to go to Tewkesbury, uh, what's there now? What's what? I'm, I'm looking at the moment. I'm doing a bit of research as to how it's changed um, since uh, Anne's visit, so that you get an idea. Because there was big restoration work on cathedrals in, I think it was in the Victorian era, um, and they did a lot of changes to some of the cathedrals. So 
um, reading about that. World history, like JP says, British history is interesting. Thank you. It is. I think because, you know, British history is, with, with, this, <laughs> with this sort of little island, or more technically, but off, off the continent, um, and, but we're not, we're not on the outskirts of the history because people came, people went, we went, we came back. I, I, you know, it's all, um, I was saying earlier for anyone who's, who's joined a little bit later, that I'm looking at pre-conquest um, Britain. And you've got, you know, things like, do you know that the, the, the Scots were in Ireland? Went to Scotland. The Picts are the people who were living in Scotland. So you've got you know, the real Britons now in Wales, or they you know, went to Wales. Um, anyway, it's all, it's all one big soup. So, um, are you over in Japan, world history like JP? Uh, this because Japanese schools only learn fragmentary knowledge about British history. Well, to be fair, that's probably, do you know, it's a lot more than we learn about Japanese history. And I would say, but then I would, wouldn't I, because I'm a history type person, that I think we could be better at our history in schools as well. Um, the original melting pot, indeed. History Biz Club. Um, yeah. The way history is taught, because it's um, and maybe this might be the same for all disciplines, really. Um, I just think we could be a bit better at knowing why we're learning something. Um, imagine as the UK has occupied so many countries over the centuries that the UK is now intertwined into so many others. The histories too, so it just fascinates many people. Yeah, well, of course we went out, but a lot. <laughs> by the time we went out, there was a lot in uh, as well. So it's uh, it's just it's just it is just a you know massive melting pot. It's it's incredible. Um, Doug, the overlord of the Welsh Welsh princes was originally called the King of the Britons. That makes sense. History Biz Club. We love to travel. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, Michael, that's why the Welsh and the I presume you're typing something else as well. Um, uh, world history like JP, Britain continued splendid isolation until it formed an alliance with Japan until 1903. Okay. Um, I mentioned a book last, no, it can't have been last week, so I was on location last week, wasn't I? Um, the Silk Roads. Has anyone read Silk Roads by Peter Frankopan? It's one of the few books, I think, that manages to talk about the time without borders but still manages to you know I don't know what's not in the book but the book's this big <laughs> but you know still puts it into a narrative that you can understand and it's fascinating um uh, okay uh, so Jenna if anyone fancies a trip to New England you'll still see evidence of England in many many places welcome <laughs> when I went round, when I went travelling around Australia, of course, so um, there's lots of place names you've got, in the, and it's funny how you know something that's a, a big city here might be a tiny village, 
um, Newcastle. I can't remember how big that was in Australia, but I remember thinking that's not going to be like our Newcastle. Uh, Michael says, that's why the Welsh and Britain people speak a similar language. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, language. Well, that's interesting. Anyone doing any languages on Duolingo? Or just languages generally, but Duolingo seems to the way most people are going at the moment. I'm doing German and Italian. Um, I've also got on there Latin and Gaelic, but I'm not getting on as fast with those. Um, but it's interesting learning a Latin based and a Germanic based um, uh, language and they both have similarities to you know English so uh, we our words so the, the, I think the word for traffic lights sorry anyone, anyone in Italy if I get this wrong it's something um, like semiforno something like that now we always, we so we would think of semaphore in terms of flags and stuff like that so signaling so you see how the words have sort of become They've gone in a different way, but you can still see a route that makes another word make sense in a different language. Bobby tried Italian. Um, John, Silk Road was amazing, removing the Western gloss from history. The West was not the centre of the world, indeed. Um, Oakley, uh, Jenna, I keep saying, I know you could, Jenna. would love to have me visit and be my tour guide. Oh, that would be a fantastic trip, wouldn't it? Bobby Ann's tried Italian. Ah. Oh. Wonderful, Doug would like to go out there. Um, Lisa, Duolingo, French and Spanish. Well done. And Latin. You've completed that one. Lisa, I'm in awe. That's brilliant. You'll be able to go and read um, all the tombstones and all the everything. I mean, even in, so in the St. Paul's, um, uh, Bobby Ann, the trip, oh, were you supposed to, so Bobby Ann was supposed to be going to Italy, I presume, in 2020. It got cancelled, so she quit for a while. You could be, you could have been fluent by now. Do you know what happens to me? I learn the language. Oh, I, I try, obviously. I'm, I'm actually getting further this time. Um, and then I get to somewhere and either I try and they speak back to me in English, which I've, I've, I'm like, oh, okay it's like that is it I'm I'm not good enough um so uh yeah I, I tend to or, or I just or I just duck out and and decide not to do it anyway but I'm going to try my best this time mad journalist I love languages it's my favorite thing to do uh, to learn sorry though I do fare better with Arabic based Greek based and Asian languages not so well with the European German or Russian based languages though wow well I suppose that's amazing though that's amazing I just I'm in I am in awe of people who can speak different languages so I thought well let's get, get on with it I'm either going to do it or I'm not going to do it right there's no point in keep saying I'm going to do it I'm not 12 anymore I actually have to implement something if I say I want to do it um Lisa says we speak Latin anyway in English we have many similar words yeah that's what I'm finding with Italian you can see that the the the, the root of the words being the same um yeah Colleen is also <laughs> is also uh, uh thinks uh mad journalist is doing very well she's indeed um history biz club two years learning dutch in the netherlands every time i spoke dutch they answered in english it's gutting isn't it it's gutting <laughs> are you really trying lisa's got snow 
Lisa, over there in Northamptonshire. Oh, I wonder if we're going to get it next then. Michael speaks Dutch fluently. Double Dutch. <laughs> um, what I was going to say about Latin. So, um, is it Samuel Johnson, the, uh, the writer of the English Dictionary? So, he writes the English Dictionary, but his um, inscription on his... Uh, it's a statue in St Paul's is in Latin because they still assumed that Latin would be um, the dominant sort of language for ecclesiastical matters I don't know even political for forever um, now we rock up and if you're not Lisa can't read it I'm so it'll be like Mary Beard reading the, the tombs of the ancient Romans, can you pick out stuff like that? That'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? I'd love to be able to do that. One day, I keep saying, I'll do my German first. Not that I know when I'm gonna go, but we'll all get, we'll all get out there, traveling the world again soon. Well, lots of people already are. I'm very much looking forward to it. I've got um, private tours booked. I haven't put those on my website, by the way. If anyone is coming over and just wants someone to accompany them, especially if it's outside of London, so you want someone with a car, I do do that. But I haven't put it on my website yet, so I will I will get that done so that you can see. I was like, why isn't anyone booking me for private tours? Well, it might be Philippa because you didn't put it on your website. Yes, maybe that's it. Okay, everyone, I'm waffling. It's an hour and a quarter in. Thank you so much for joining me. And I will be back for Thursday Tea Time Live next week at 1pm, streaming live on Instagram and on YouTube. But you can catch me live tomorrow at four o'clock on Instagram and on Clubhouse at five o'clock for a one-off. Um, Lisa says, try German. Male, female, neutral words are too much hard work. Yes, I, I am struggling with that. Um, History Biz Club, the cases are the biggest challenge in German. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you, John. Thank you, Katie. Uh, yes, absolutely, everyone. Thank you, Lisa, Michael, everyone, Doug, everyone for joining me, Jenna. Sorry if I've forgotten. Uh, my journalist. Um, who else has been here? Orlando, all of you. It's been History Biz Club. Thank you for joining me. I will see you all next week. Have a wonderful uh, yeah, week and um, take care. All right, everyone. See you really, really soon. Bye. Bye, everyone.